All right. Notice verse 1 of 1 Peter 5. It says, The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. What I want to preach about tonight is the pastor as an ensample to the flock. Now, folks, I really want you to get this tonight. All right? We're going to cover some very important things that um, I think people miss because of the fact that there's just a lot of things, even about history and society itself, that we just don't understand because of the day and age we live in and our culture. And uh, I think this is really important. So i got a lot I want to try to cover tonight. But what is an ensample? All right? An ensample is basically an example. Is pretty much it's just an old English word there. And that word ensample means an example or a pattern or model for imitation. Okay, so a pastor is supposed to be an example or a model right, of what everyone else should be. Okay, and notice if, if a, the pastor is an ensample, meaning I'm supposed to be doing what everybody else is doing, where does that give me like some kind of like superhero? type status because a lot of people have this attitude that the pastor is supposed to just be i mean above it all you know all kinds of stuff is acceptable for the regular people but not for the pastor you know or they'll do that too you know i grew up in a pastor's home people don't always do that with the pastor's kids okay now if a pastor is supposed to be an ensample to the flock and how he raises his kids then shouldn't that mean the pastor raises his or other people in the church raise their kids the same way the pastors do but people used to tell me all the time, you know, you shouldn't do that. You're a preacher's kid. You know, I, I'd be getting in trouble for something every other kid was doing. You know, but it was worse for me because I was the preacher's kid. It's like, what do you think a preacher is? What do you think a pastor is? You know, I'm sorry, but a pastor is not supposed to be this just like, you know, super elite, greater than everyone else type thing. Okay? Now, a lot of people have put that on their pastor, and mistakenly, pastors have accepted that role. Oh, y'all think I'm a superhero? Probably right, you know. And they'll, you know, they'll they'll take that, you know. They'll kind of put him on this pedestal in a way that's unhealthy. And I'm telling you, this kind of thing causes problems. People wonder why the IFB for years has been being called a cult. One of the reasons is because of all the man worship that goes off in IFB churches, because of all the. Uh, pastors or men of God that were very controlling with their people and they literally idolized the man. And folks, that's not what God called for. That's not what being ensampled the flock is. It's just, it's not. And, uh, you know, I think everyone knows that if a pastor is to be an example of the flock, I think everybody knows he's supposed to be an example, but I don't think we often think about what that really means. Because an example or an ensample is a pattern for others to follow. So that means I should be an example of what every Christian should be doing. Not more than what every Christian should be doing. People do, they have these very unreasonable expectations sometimes. And we don't, I don't think we have this problem in this church, but I don't ever want it to get here because it does create a lot of problems. And so church members, though, often do expect a different standard from the pastor than they do everyone else in the church. And it leads to some bad things, I believe. And it's just flat out wrong. So first off, look at what it says in Matthew chapter 20 and verse 20. Okay, now, I'm just going to tell you right now, 
You know, I grew up in the IFB world. One of the reasons a lot of church members get this wrong is because the pastors preach this stuff wrong. And that's all there is to it. It's like, where did they get this idea? From the pastor. You know, that, that's where they got it from. Or maybe a member in the church, some family that came from a church that was like that, where they gave the pastor a godlike status. And then all of a sudden, they had a church where everybody kind of treated the pastor, you know, with respect like they should have. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But they, you know, they just, they didn't treat him too great. So all of a sudden he has these people that come in and are just heaping all this worship. It's like finally some appreciation, you know, and then he ends up accepting that. And that's, that's not good. It's not what God wants. But look what it says in Matthew 20 and verse 20. Because God wants, he, God has called for us to be an ensample, not an idol. And it says in verse 20, then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, what wilt thou? She said unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit the one on thy right hand and the other on the left in thy kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, Ye know not what ye ask. Are ye able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of and to be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? They say unto him, We are able. And he saith unto them, Ye shall drink indeed of my cup and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared to my father. And when the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. And now why? Because obviously, if James and John are on the right hand and left hand, then that means they are above the other disciples. They didn't like the idea of these guys that they saw as equals getting promoted over them. Now, folks, I don't care which way you slice it, that's pride. That's pride right there. That's all there is to it. And so it says, but Jesus called them unto him and said, Ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. What's not supposed to be so among you? Exercising authority over each other. Exercising dominion over each other. He said, it's not going to be that way among you. It says, in, uh, but it shall, or, and, but whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. So notice, God did not want this attitude amongst his disciples who were all equals of you know lordship over another one and just exercising dominion and authority. That's something that the Gentiles do. The Gentiles, they like to create the hierarchies and things, and so they can all give themselves titles and ranks and then act like they're all that. But Jesus said, no, I don't want that among you. I want, whosoever's going to be chief among you, let him be your servant. That's what he, that's what he wanted. And so this elevating of the man of God, I do believe is contrary to scriptures. I do believe, I do believe that that is not what God wants us to do. But then people say, well, what about, you know, the elders who rule well getting double honor? And let's go ahead and turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 5. In verse 17. Now, folks, I'm going to be the first person in the room that likes this passage right here. But, you know, you got, you can't go, I can't take it farther than God takes it. But it says, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture saith, thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. Against an elder receive not an accusation but before two or three witnesses. So 
Notice this right here, how we do see double honor, you know, against an elder received not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. Okay, it looks like here the elder's kind of getting some special treatment, but here's the question you need to ask. Why is he getting special treatment? Is he getting this, is he getting this double honor because, you know, he is just this amazing person? He's just this man of God like Elisha who had a double portion of the spirit of Elijah? Folks, I'm sorry, but you know, I don't know any pastors that carry the same weight and juice that Elisha had. I mean, first off, you got Elijah, who, I mean, is one of the two olive trees that stand for the Lord of the whole earth, who never died, who actually had the authority to go kill hundreds of prophets, of false prophets. I mean, that's a pretty good guy right there, one of the two witnesses that's going to come back. And then you have Elisha, who's often referred to as the man of God, who had a double portion of the spirit of Elijah. And then just because I'm the pastor, I'm going to go parade myself around like I'm an Elisha. Folks, people have made fun of my bald head before like they did Elisha, and I haven't seen anybody get killed for it. And they deserve it, too, because you know what? All my life, I never made fun of bald people because I was always afraid I might go bald. Didn't work. All right? still, still going bald. I, I, I didn't do it. Okay? I do now because I can because we're equals, you know? But it's like old people can make fun of old people, right? But, you know... Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. I've listened to preachers talk about how, you know, they got chewed out and that person when chewing them out, blasting the Holy Ghost. And therefore, you know, they declared that they were going to die within 24 hours. And they did. I don't believe those stories. Okay. Those aren't real. I've had all kinds of people treat me bad and I didn't check up on them 24 hours later, see if they were dead. Yeah. I think, I think they could probably get away with it on this earth. They might not, but either way, if the Lord chooses to deal with them, he probably won't let me see it. Because then I'll act like Phil Kidd going around telling stories about it, you know, and getting everybody impressed with me. And I'm not going to do that. I don't, I don't think that that's right. But let me ask you, why do the elders get the double honor? Is it because of their awesomeness? Is it because of their just extra portion of the Holy Spirit? What is it about them that gets them that double honor? Because here's the thing that you got to understand. There should be a leader in a church. But being in charge does not equal superhero status okay so and, and the, what about double honor? what does that mean double honor i believe this is a reference to how they are paid because it specifically goes into how they get paid afterward afterwards it follows the old testament principle of not muzzling the ox okay now that's not usually a good you know animal to get compared to okay but you know an ox is a hard-working animal needs to be fed but this, I believe this concept is hard for people to grasp today because they have no idea how governments and authority work. Okay, now some of this goes along a little bit with what we talked about this morning. But think about this. You know, civilized people have always been capable of appointing leaders. They've always been able to do that. And the fear and the respect for the leader that they had. Okay, for example, let's just say now, we can't imagine this because, you know, we're not, you know, our... A uh, land of the United States is very well established and settled. You don't see too many people going and blazing new trails and starting new towns. Okay. But let's just say we did. Let's say that a group of us, we went out west somewhere where there's this like wilderness and we decided we're going to set up a town. We were going to establish a town. Now, if we're out there and we're kind of all by ourselves, if we're going to live as a group of people and build a town together, doesn't it make sense that we're going to need some rules? Doesn't it make sense we're going to need some laws? Because, 
you know, what if Brother Matt's stealing from Brother Austin? You know, we can't. It, we're not going to make it as a town if we're stealing from each other, if we're killing each other. So what we've got to do, we've got to have some laws. We've got to come out, you know, we've got to write out some kind of charter or something explaining what we're doing. And we're going to decide on some things. And as a community, we're all going to come together and say, all right, this is our town. This is the laws. Leviticus 2013 will be practiced. You know, but I know obviously that wouldn't work in the United States because we'd still be under that authority. But, you know, we would have all these different rules and things. And But then we would need a leader, right? We would need a, a mayor or sheriff. You know, somebody that's actually going to enforce these things because as we grow and more people come, we're going to need these things. We're going to need some organization. And so let's say we're all out there in in town. You know, we're starting a town, you know, and we appoint Brother Brian to be the sheriff. He's the law enforcement officer. Okay. Now, if we as a community come together and we appoint him as a leader, Okay. Us appointing him as a leader isn't necessarily, you know, that he is just like the most skilled gunfighter, you know, you know, intimidating figure. Or it's, it has nothing really to do with just how awesome he is. It's just he's willing to do the role or f- fulfill that role, and we all agreed that he should do it. Now, he's now the sheriff. We all have decided that. So now if somebody gets out of line... And then they decide, you know what, I'm not going to follow these laws. And they decide, I'm not going to listen to that sheriff when he tries enforcing the laws. You realize they're not just going against Brian. They're going against the whole town. Because you realize the whole town came together and we all agreed. These are the rules. This is the guy in charge. And them defying him is defying all of us. And anybody who is, has, is civilized at all and has any fear of God is going to understand the sanctity of this agreement. I mean, you know, you know, we have people coming together, making an agreement, sticking by these things. We looked at some examples of that in the Old Testament. And then when one person wants to come along and say, you know what, I changed my mind. I'm not following the rules. I'm not going to listen to one of the authority. It's not a slap in his face. It's a slap in all of our faces. Do you all understand that? And because of the fact that we are a community and this person is getting out of line and defying the one who is put in charge, that is a terrible thing. And it's the same thing in a church, okay? In a church, we aren't supposed to have superhero status. We're not supposed to have hierarchies in the church. But what we are, we do need somebody to fulfill certain roles. And one of the roles that God gave is a pastor. And as a group of Christians, we ought to be capable of coming together and saying, you know what? Here's a guy who meets qualifications in the Bible that really aren't that strict. The qualifications of bishop are not really that extreme. And we've all agreed, this guy, he fits what the Bible talks about. He knows the scriptures. He's capable of leading this congregation. We want him to be our pastor. Someone who is an equal. And so understand, when that person gets put in place as a pastor, when you decide, you know what? I don't want to follow his lead. I don't want to do what he's doing. You're not just going against the pastor. You're going against the whole church because the church is what gave him that authority. I don't have, I, I don't have any magical abilities. I don't have any special skills or I, I don't have these things. And, and the truth is I can't get anything done and our church isn't going to get anything done if you all aren't backing me up. And so the truth is 
when you respect my lead, when you respect the authority, it's respecting everyone in the church. You all understand that? This isn't just about me. Okay, A church is not a one-man show. Okay? A church is not a one-man show. And people, they don't realize that going against that authority, it's going against everybody. I guarantee you get to know the policemen in our town. They're probably not all super impressive. Now, they might be skilled in certain areas. They might be good shots and things, which might be good. Maybe I don't want to be a good shot in case they, you know, come after me. But, you know, the, you know, the truth is they're not special, you know, special individuals, but does their office not mean something? And when you violate or when you, uh, do not follow the authority that they do have, you are going against the entire community. And so the reason we give these people honor and respect in certain areas is because we respect the organization. We respect the office. And a pa- the office of a pastor is an office that should be respected. So understand, when you are respectful to a pastor, it's not that you're just you know putting this worship on Tommy McMurtry. No, you respect the, the position is what you respect. Because that position, it's not one that's just, you know, that we, it's not something we give ourselves. It's something that is given to us. And it's something that you all have in many ways given me, even though I saw this church, just by the fact that, you know, you have joined this church and submitted to the leadership of this church. So the truth is, the respect that I would expect, it's not a respect for Tommy McMurtry. It's a respect for the office of the pastor. Because you should take that serious. And it's the same thing, too, with the president, all right? I mean, as many issues as I have with our president, if I had the opportunity to meet President Trump, I wouldn't go up to him and say, hi, Donald, how's it going? <laughs> so, yeah, but he's a terrible person, all right? You know, he's, he's been married three times, and you know, he owns casinos and all these things. But you know what? The, I respect the office. So I would be respectful. If I met J.B. Pritzker, I would, in the face-to-face, I would give a certain level of respect to him. Because let me tell you something. I have no respect for the individual. Zero. But I do for the office. I do for the office. And so if I were to get an audience with the man, I'm not going to show up, you know, wearing jeans and a T-shirt, you know, my hair all a mess, and then just walk in and, you know, what's up, JB? You know, when are you going to straighten things out in the state, pile of garbage? You know, I, I'm not going to act like that, okay? I, Because I, 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 I respect the office. Even President Obama, who is no longer president. Now do you, listen, I have no respect for the man, but I have respect for the office. And therefore, it, you know, if I were to ever get to meet him for whatever reason, you know, I'm not going to go kick him in the shins or, uh, you know, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to show you in a little bit, too, that that's unbiblical to do that because I respect the office. And now, and you know, and so we need to understand when it comes to, you know, giving you know, the double honor that a pastor should get, it doesn't mean Tommy McMurtry is just like some, you know, double special person. No, but the office is important. And the truth is, if you all are treating me like garbage, for example, if, I, if I'm not getting any honor, it, then that's going to that's gonna make it seem like to me, you all don't take me serious. And if you all don't take this office serious, why would I take it serious? And we ought, you, know, you, you ought to 
you know, have respect for that office and be like, you know, this is a big deal. We want to take care of this guy. You know, if we as a community appoint Brian to be the sheriff of our community, do we want him to be the poorest guy in town? Do we want him just struggling to survive? I mean, the guy who does a lot of our dirty work for us. Do we want that? Do we want the guy that we as a community are supposed to be taking care of? Do we want him suffering and struggling? No. You know why? Because that would reflect bad on our community. And if you're not, and if a church is not taking care of the pastor, it reflects badly on the church, doesn't it? It reflects badly on all of you. So that honor that we give, again, it's not about the individual. It's about that office that we respect because this represents us too as a part of this congregation. So these are, these are things that we've got to understand. You know, the truth is there should be many qualified people in one church to be a bishop, but there should only be one bishop in a church. Again, you know, the qualifications aren't, they're not extreme things. They're not just, uh, they're not, they're really not that big of a deal. Everyone should be doing these things. And if you, when you become a pastor, if you're supposed to be the ensample of the flock, okay, and if, if you are a pastor and you, and people are following your example, that wouldn't mean there'd be a bunch of people in the church qualified. You know, there should be many people that are able to do that. And if the time ever comes where, you know, I drop dead or something happens and I leave, you know, you all as a congregation, you ought to be able to look out amongst your equals and choose somebody in this church and say, you know what, this person we think would be good to do that. And all of a sudden you realize if whoever you got, you chose to become the pastor, he doesn't all of a sudden just get downloaded with superpower and you know extra knowledge and things like that. He's the same person that he was before. But you will now give him extra respect because of the office that he has been given. It's not respect so much for the individual, even though it's okay, we should all respect each other, shouldn't we? We should all respect each other. But the double honor is because of the office that they hold. And so I think if we would understand that, we wouldn't expect just perfection from the pastor. We, you know, we wouldn't just have these just extreme ideas about how he lives. It's like some people think a pastor's family, they literally just sit around the house and you know read their Bibles all day and sing hymns you know, and go soul winning the rest of the time. Okay? No, they don't. You know what, what we do? We do many of the same things you all do. Okay? That's how, I mean, and folks, if that's what I'm doing, if that's what we're doing every day, and we're supposed to be an example, then you're supposed to be doing that too. Right? You all want to read your Bible all day, pray all day, and sing hymns all day? Okay? You know, it's okay to have a normal life. And there's more pastors I can go to to kind of show you things that I don't, we don't have time for that. But if a pastor's doing his job of being an example and the members are following there should be no shortage of qualified people. So you should respect the pastor in the church, not so much because of who he is or or even what he has done, but because you respect the office. That's what you ought to respect. And so, uh, again, if you ever get to meet the president, governor, whatever, be respectful to him. Look at what it says in Exodus chapter 22 and verse 28. Because I'm just I'm not going to lie to you. I'd rather throw a tomato. I really would. But look what it says in Exodus 22, verse 28. Thou shalt not revile the gods, nor curse the rulers of thy people. When it's talking about gods there, it's not talking about these false deities and idols. It's just a term of authority right there. And people that have been put in authority, we should not 
be going reviling them and disrespecting them because we're not just disrespecting them. We're dis disrespecting everyone who has put them in that authority. We're trashing the whole town when we, when we do that. And look what it says in Acts 23, verse 1. It says, And Paul, earnestly beholding the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God unto this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded him that stood by him to smite him on the mouth. Then said Paul unto him, God shall smite thee, thou whited wall. For sittest thou to judge me after the law, and commandest me to be smitten contrary to the law? And they that stood by said, Revilest thou God's high priest? Now listen, Paul was rightfully calling this guy out, but did he have to call him a whited wall? All right. you know, did, he, did he have to call him a name? And listen to what Paul said. Then said Paul, I wist not, brethren, that he was the high priest. For it is written, Thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. That's the verse we just read in Exodus 22. Okay, now let me ask you, Ananias, who Paul, he did not know he was the high priest, but did a terrible thing, did an illegal thing, commanding Paul to be smitten, contrary to the law. Do we think that Paul respected Ananias, the individual? Do we think he probably liked Ananias, the individual? No, not after that. But notice when he got called out for reviling him, he said, he, he said, I didn't know. And then he quoted a scripture, Sean. I know what the scripture says about that. Because while Paul obviously did not respect the man, he respected the office. And so he changed his tune a little bit. Because, you know, you, we don't, again, it's not that we're looking at these, elevating these people to this godlike status. No, our respect for the office is a respect for everyone they represent, too. So we, sh we shouldn't go doing that. It's kind of like me, too. You know, one thing that's great about our country, we have free speech, kind of. And so, you know, we're allowed to speak out against our leaders when they do wrong, and it's legal. But, you know, sometimes I, get, I, I almost get aggravated when people from other countries trash our leaders. It's like, you know what, shut up and deal with your own country. You know, that, that, that's the way I feel about it. Because the truth is, I mean, our leaders are a reflection of us. You do realize that. And we are ugly. Let me tell you, we're real ugly. But, but at the same time, you know, we can call out sin. We can say when they're doing wrong. There's nothing wrong with that. But, you know, we do need to be careful about, you know, how we treat them, especially in person, too. Like Paul, that's what Paul did there because this wasn't just him, you know, trashing the high priest. It, it was about, or Ananias. It was about the office. And so when people, of Liberty Baptist Church look at Tommy McMurtry, they shouldn't they should fear and respect the authority that God has given me, but you ought to see me as a brother. And look what it says in Matthew twenty three, verses eight through twelve. It says, But be not ye called rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ, and ye are all brethren. But, and call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. Neither be ye called masters, for one is your master, even Christ. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant, and whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. So right there, again, we're brethren. Okay? I am your brother. Tommy McMurtry is your brother. But I have a, an office as a pastor 
And what, when you look at the individual, you should see me as a brother. But when it comes to any respect that you give me, it's not out of just some adoration or amazement of me. It is out of respect for the position that I have and what it represents. And that's what we do too with police. Okay? Most, you know, when we see the badge, okay, you know, we know there's a certain, we've got it kind of in our head. There's a certain level of respect that we need to give. You know, and even though we don't know, we don't even know them half the time. We don't even know who they are, but because of what they represent, we give certain respect. And that's, and so you being respectful to a police officer, all of us know that's not us worshiping them, worshiping them, isn't it? But for some reason with pastors, it often turns into that. And that's not right. That's not what God intended. That's definitely not, what, that's totally contrary to what the Bible teaches. So notice this, so, uh, a few examples. John, all right, who wrote the Gospel of John, he was known as the beloved disciple. John was the last apostle that lived, as far as history tells us. He was the one who laid on Jesus' breast. I mean, there's no doubt John was the only one that stood on the cro- at the cross when everybody else was hiding. But you know what? John, in the book of Revelation, when at, according to history, he was probably the only apostle left. When that was written, he was probably the only one left. Now, folks, if we're going to create a hierarchy at that time, who do you think's on the top of the food chain? I mean, definitely the last apostle, John. But, you know, when John wrote to them in the Revelation, he referred to himself as their brother and companion in tribulation. He didn't, he didn't give himself a bunch of titles. He said, I am your brother. Where did he get that from? That's exactly what Jesus told him to do. This is the same guy, too, whose mom had went to Jesus asking, hey, can one sit on your right? That, this, John's one of them. That was his mom that did that. He was one of them the disciples all got mad at. But John, even though he's the last one left, he didn't say, hey, look at me, mom. I'm on top. You know, I made it. I'm the only one left. You know, top of the world. I don't know if you all would get that reference or not. James Cagney, that one went over everybody's head. But anyway, you know, he, he didn't do that. When he's writing to the people in these seven churches, he said, I'm your brother and companion in tribulation. He's our companion. You know what that means? He's doing the same things they're doing. You know, he's not like some of these pastors that are out there that they'll have their churches go out souling, but they never go souling. You'd be amazed at how many pastors of souling churches don't go souling. You'd be amazed by that. I think that's pathetic. Why would you ask your people in your church to do something that you won't do yourself? That's not right. Who, who do you think you are? John didn't see himself as that. You know, John didn't, he didn't get to avoid doing the dirty work because of his position. You know, hey folks, I'm going to send myself over to this area where things aren't real difficult. I think I have, I've earned that right. I've been doing this for a long time. I'm the apostle, only apostle left. I'm the beloved apostle. Meaning Jesus loved me the most. No, he, he didn't do that. He didn't get to avoid the dirty work. He didn't get to lay out of a fight. Because of previous exploits and victories. All right, hey, John, we're fighting battles now. Well, let me tell you about the battle I fought 20 years ago. There's a lot of preachers out there like that. Oh, you know, back when I was in Bible college, we used to go soul learning for eight hours a day. Oh, great. That was back when you were in Bible college. That was 30 years ago. You know, I mean, you got these preachers that get up, especially these evangelists, and they're telling the same stories from 30 years ago. Hey, why don't you have any stories from the last 30 days? Because they're not doing anything anymore. But because they had these great exploits in the past, they never have to do anything again. And folks, I've known evangelists who had like a big, moving, dramatic story that literally 
had a ministry going around telling everybody their inspiring story. Let me tell you about what I went through one time. Okay, great. But, you know, most of us aren't ever going to end up, you know, with, uh, you know, out in the jungle and all of a sudden go walking and see an almost naked guy with an arrow in our face, right in our face. I listened to a missionary tell that story one time. It's from Vanuatu. And he, he would tell that story about how a guy was wearing pretty much nothing but a tie, you know, so, you know, not around the waist. And all of a sudden he's walking along and he looks and there's an arrow right, right in front of his face, all pulled back, about ready to get shot. He had all kinds of great stories that he would tell. But you know what? Most of us aren't ever going to end up in that situation. You know, it was pretty cool hearing that story, but you know what? How about something for what we're going through right now? How about something for what we're dealing with right now? Hey, I'm glad you fought those battles way back then. I've listened to the guy, I've listened to preachers talk about the battles they fought in the seventies, you know, when the government was going after their Christian schools and things and the stands that they took. I've been listening to those stories for decades. In fact, and I hate to even bring this up, but I got to bring it up. I, I got to bring it up, but maybe I shouldn't reveal this, but you know, it's too late now. I already got the cat out of the bag, but with all this stuff with these Illinois churches, starting services. Some of the pastors were talking the other day and they were like explaining how we were all going to just open up our churches anyway and how we're going to be ready. And if they come and they arrest the pastor, you know what we're going to do? We're going to have another guy ready to step up and take his place. He's going to get arrested and another guy's going to come and take his place. And they listen, that's what they did back in the seventies. That's what they did back in the seventies when the government was coming after their Christian schools and things. They were folks. I've heard these stories for decades. And all of a sudden, these preachers from that era are talking about that, how this is what we're going to do. This is what you young guys have been ready to do. You know, you young preachers, you've never been up against anything like this. We've faced that kind of stuff in the past, and this is what you all better be ready to do. Are you all ready to do this? And then, when it comes time for them to finally do it, they get a letter. Ah, we can't do it. We're backing down. You know what? I'm glad you had your exploits 40 years ago, but we need you now. Now we need you doing something. We got a fight and a battle going on now, and we don't need you sitting on the sidelines talking about your previous exploits. We need you doing something now. Oh, well, we need to respect these people. These were great things they did in the past. I I get that. I get that. But we need them now. Because you don't just get to achieve the superhero status where you never get criticized anymore, where you never have to take a stand again, where you now live under a different set of rules than everybody else in the church just because of something you did in the past. I'm sorry. I don't care what great things we do. We're all under the same rules today. Today. And if I get thrown in jail today or next week, I don't get to talk about that for the next 30 or 40 years. And then every time there's a battle that comes and I want to sit on the sidelines because I'm scared. Oh, you all think I'm a wimp? Remember when I went to jail 30 years ago? Oh, we need you now. We need you now, folks. I mean, the, the, the kind of thing aggravates me. But people who have their great stories, they get passes all the time. That's like, like they have now achieved this level of Christianity where they get another set of rules. Folks, we're never going to get to that. I don't care what we go through, we never get to play by a different set of rules because of what we've accomplished or what we've been through. It's not the way it works. That is wrong. And John definitely went through some things. You know, according to history, at this point, he had been boiled in oil. But he didn't say, I, John, who am the apostle, who they tried to martyr but failed. 
No, he said, I'm, I'm your brother and companion in tribulation. He just put himself equal with what they were going through during that time, even at this point in his life. I think that's an amazing testimony right there. I'm sorry, no pastor has got any more juice than the Apostle John. And he didn't play by another set of rules, and we shouldn't either. So the pastor isn't there to wow people and impress everyone with himself. He is there to impress people with Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.1 says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. Paul didn't go there wowing him with his, his brains, with his stories, with his testimony. You know, brother, it's good to have you at this camp. We're going to have brother so-and-so come up. He, I asked him to preach. This man's got a wonderful testimony. You're going to be blown away by what this man has gone through. And he gets up and tells a story for an hour from 30 years ago. And everybody cries about it, too. And then, you know, after the service, everybody just wants to come and get their picture taken with him. Because it's something he did 30 years ago. Hey, how about you get up there and you talk about Christ? How about you go and impress people with Christ? And, man, I could name some names right now. And I don't, and I don't want to do that. Because it's not that all these people are heretics and things or anything like that. But folks, you know, some of these things that people have went through that are great stories and inspirational stories, you know, they're things that we'll never deal with. And then all it does is it impresses us with those people. Okay? That's not the job of a preacher. They're there to point people to Jesus Christ and lift him up. And when we get more amazed about what some preacher's gone through than what Jesus went through on the cross, you know, and I'm not saying, you know, if people share a battle that they fought or something difficult they went through, you know, you don't have to be all ultra-spiritual and say, well, you know what, that's nothing compared to what Jesus went through. But the truth is, any stories we have to tell about ourselves are nothing compared to what Jesus went through. Nothing compared to what you went through. So why would we waste our time telling our story when we have his story to tell people? That's something we need to think about. And so a pastor should always be seen as under the authority of Jesus Christ. Because in 1 Peter 5, where we left off in verse 4, it says, And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Understand, the pastor, his, his authority is limited. People here, you know, pastors hear that word rule, and all of a sudden, they think they're J.B. Pritzker. And that means that they can just declare whatever they want. You know, just like Pritzker thinks he can declare whatever he wants. Sign executive orders for whatever he wants, no matter what the Constitution says. He thinks he can just do whatever he feels like doing. There's a lot of pastors the same way. I'm the man of God. I'm the authority of the church. I have rule over the church. I'm the one that God has put to rule well. I'm the man of God. And they see that word rule, but a pastor's authority is limited. A pastor's authority does not extend beyond what God gave him and the pastor is under the authority of Jesus Christ. And if he starts getting out of line, if he starts preaching heresy, you know what? A church should remove that pastor. He should, they should do it. A pastor should have to follow some guidance. And folks, I'm sorry, this might not be popular in a lot of circles, but you don't ever be afraid to hold a pastor to a statement of faith and constitution and bylaws and things. Listen, societies... Every civilized society have always had like charters and statements and things like that that they held themselves to. 
That's what we're trying to do with our leaders. We're trying to hold them to a constitution. We're trying to hold them to things that were written and agreed upon. And are we so lazy? Are we so simple-minded that we can't come up with something and some guidelines and say, hey, this is what we believe is the church. This is what we're going to stick to. And you know what? We have in our church constitution ways to amend things in the constitution because if we find out we're wrong in some area, obviously we want the Bible to be the final authority but so what we do, we have a way to amend things in there. And we fix those things, and we ought to have a way of doing it. I shouldn't just be able to get up here as a pastor and just say, you know what? I changed my mind. This week, I'm pre-trib. And everyone in here has now, or y'all get kicked out of the church. You know? And then, all of a sudden, a month later, I was like, you know what? I was wrong. I'm a preterist now. You know? And... And you all have to do it because the Bible's the authority and I'm the pastor and let me show you preterism. Now, listen, if I succeed in showing that, then should we not change? Well, of course we should, but do we just do it at the snap of a finger and at the whim of the pastor or do we have a process for it? We ought to have a process for it. I'm not a dictator. I should not be a dictator. I am a shepherd that is under the authority of the chief shepherd. And we ought to be capable of telling people what that looks like. We ought to be capable of writing down on paper and saying, this is what we believe. This is how we're going to operate. This is how we're going to do the finances. This is how we're going to do whatever. We ought to be capable of doing that. And then when we do, when we come together and we come up with a statement of faith, when we come up with bylaws or a constitution, all of us ought to have some fear and respect for those things. And we don't just come waltzing in and just say, you know what? I was watching a YouTube video and I found out this and y'all are wrong and this needs, and just, you know, we're just going to change it at anybody's whim. And I've known people before too. I've talked to these people on the phone. I've chewed these people out who they think I'm going to support them because they go into churches that the entire church has decided they don't want soul winning, but because they know soul winning's right, they feel like they can just walk in and just take over that church. And add sowing. Folks, any church that throws sowing out is wrong for doing that. But that is a congregation that has decided together they're going to do that. The authorities in place and that they have decided to do that. If you can't live with that, you need to find another church. You don't get to just waltz in there and change everything. That's not how things work. That's not reality. Okay? Listen. I have no business just waltzing in to the Vatican and saying, y'all are wrong in idolatry. All these statues are coming down now. And then act offended when the Pope doesn't listen to me. I, I would be an idiot. And let me tell you, all these new IFB YouTube following punks that just do not, they don't even go to church or anything. They go waltzing into churches and doing stuff like that. They look as stupid as I would if I walked into the Vatican and tried doing something like that. Listen, I'm right about my position, but I'm, I'm an idiot to think that they have, that I have any authority there at all. I have no authority. I have no authority. I would look like an idiot if I just walked into Canada and I said, your prime minister is a fruit loop and a pile of garbage. And you know what? He needs to be removed and I'm the new prime minister. Like, Sir, you are not even a citizen. Who cares what you say? Get out of our country. 
That's exactly what they would do. And that's exactly what they Now, am I right about their prime minister? Would I make a better prime minister? You know, I, I personally think so. I think just about anybody would. But what makes me think I have any right to claim anything there? And that's what some of these just people, you know, some of y'all watching on YouTube, you are those punks. And you're the type of people that go into churches and you do that junk and you make all of us look bad. And I wish there was some way I could snap my finger and make you all go away and make no one ever associate me with the likes of you. And I can't really do that because they're just all over the place and you just can't get rid of them. But I do want to go on record as saying people like that are losers and I have no respect for them. And if I could snap my finger and make them all go away, I would. I, I don't want to have anything to do with people like that. Punks and losers and, and make fools out of a lot of people. But you know, people taking this respect of the man of God too far, it has resulted in many pastors abusing their authority and their position. And I've been to some of these churches too. I've seen what it's like in some of these churches. I've walked into the churches where they have the great big giant portrait of the man of God in the foyer. And it's like, and it's all, you know, surrounded by flowers and all these things like, like a shrine almost. And it's like, it's weird. I, I, I see the way they treat them. I've, I've seen these things and I can name some names there too of just weird things like that, that I've seen. It has always been off putting to me. It is wrong. A pastor should never think that he's above the rules that everyone else is under. Remember David in second Samuel chapter 11, verse one, when at the time when kings go forth to battle, what is he doing? He's staying home, messing with the wife of one of his soldiers. Why wasn't he out there fighting with them? Oh, well, he's the king. Exactly. If he's the king, if he's the leader, then he should lead. And it's amazing what our leaders expect of their subjects today. You know, our governor expects us to just all shelter in place and not go anywhere. But yet he can, you know, let his family go to Florida. He can just go do whatever he feels like doing. What? Why is he above the rules? Listen, if it's time to suffer, then let's suffer together. And let me see you suffer. But, you know, billionaires, you know, they, they you know, they, yeah, that's the thing, man. When you're a billionaire, they, I was just outside the governor's mansion yesterday. You know, why do they need, you know, who cares? You have to shelter in place in that place. It's huge. I like to see what all they have in there. You know, and that house probably isn't as good as his own house. I guarantee, I guarantee you. I think it was Bruce Rauner, another billi- our last governor, another billionaire. I don't even think he stayed there most of the time. It wasn't good enough for him. Why do we keep electing billionaires in Illinois? I'd rather, I'd rather elect a bum off the street than a billionaire. Don't get me going on the governors again. But listen, a, a pastor should be out in the field with the rest of the troops. And you know, a pastor is not exempt from judgment. When David sinned, guess what? He got judged, didn't he? He got judged big time. And let me, the IFB, it's been accused of being a cult for years. And you know, it's not a baseless claim. It's not. Okay. I, I obviously, I don't think the IFB in any way is a cult, but when people call the IFB a cult, I'm not real surprised because some stuff I've seen in some churches kind of makes it look like one. And the elevation of the man of God, of the man of God has gotten, I don't even like using that term for, you know, for myself. I, it's amazing how quick people are to just give that to themselves. 
You know, and, and they usually do it too. You know, don't you talk, don't you speak against the man of God. When they do that, they're comparing themselves to the Elisha situation. You know, and they're threatening you with the Holy Ghost because something you say, folks, listen, Tommy McMurtry is a brother to all of you. Okay? I, I am equal. I am an example. The things that Tommy McMurtry does are things that you ought to be doing too. I'm trying to set an example. Say, well, you do not want anything. You do not want any cards. No, I do want you to respect the office. I want you to respect the position because it, I take it serious and I want you to take it serious too. But don't ever think that I get like this, that I, that I play by another set of rules or don't expect more from me and more from my wife and more from my kids than you would anybody else in the church. That's not, that's not right. Don't go, when you see the things I'm doing, and you get convicted and the Lord tells you, you know, you ought to be doing that too. Don't say, well, he's the pastor. That's not, that's not what I'm trying to do. I'm not trying to outdo you people. I'm not. And if one of you, if some, a family in this church outdoes me in some area, you know, that's fine. You know, I, it's not like I'm trying to be Superman. It, that, it's not a contest. But I am trying to be an example and mankind is though is just naturally idolatrous, and it's easier to be a blind follower of a man than it is to be responsible for yourself and accountable to God. And I believe God wants that from every family, everybody in this church. God wants every man in the in this church making well thought out decisions for his family based on the Word of God. And if you learn what some of those things should be from me, great. But at the end of the day, you know, I hope I'm inspiring you and encouraging you to find these things and learn these things for yourself. And you're not just poly parroting me. You're not just copying me. Because then if I mess up, you're going to mess up too. And you're just supposed to follow me as I follow Christ. You know, you, when you hear the things that I'm preaching, what should convince you to follow these things is not the fact that it came from my mouth, but the fact that I showed you where it is in the scriptures. That's the way it ought to be. That's what God intended. And so we've got to get back to this right mindset. We've got to have the right mindset on these things. The IFB has kind of messed up in this area. And they've, they've taken things too far the wrong way. And I'm telling you, I believe too, that's one of the reasons pastor's kids are some of the worst kids that you'll ever find in a church. You know why? Because of the fact that Look, no, it's, nobody wants to be a hypocrite. Okay? Nobody wants to do that. Nobody wants to be fake. It is stressful. It is painful. And if you all are just like heaping this praise and this expectation on my family, and then I'm acting like we've done that. We are all that. You know, and my kids know, hey, we're not, we're not anything special. Okay? But I, but I'm putting that, I'm putting pressure on them. Hey, listen, people in this church, they think we're just like, you know, way above them. If you guys do anything to mess up that illusion, you're in big Folks, that's just going to make them bitter. They're just going to hate church. They're going to hate all of you. And, I, and I, I dealt with some of that growing up with people just always looking for fault in us, always, you know, you know, treat, you know treating us different. That's wrong. I'm not saying, you know, you know that it is bad when the pastor's kids are horrible. That's a bad thing. That's always, that's always a bad thing. But I believe a lot of it is because they've made those kids feel like phonies. 
And you know, people used to tell me all the time, oh, you guys, you, they would tell me about me and my sister. You guys are just so wonderful. You're, you're so well-behaved. You're this and that. You know, I'd just be like, Dude, you don't know us. <laughs> you haven't been in our house and seen. You know, it was always off-putting to me. But the thing is, I don't want my kids acting a certain way, you know, just to deceive and in fear of all of you. I want to be because, one, they're trying to obey their mother and father. And because they fear God. And so when you do, when you when you put that status on them that they don't deserve, it puts a pressure on them that they should not be under. And I believe that that has contributed to ruining a lot of preachers' kids because when you do, you give them that godlike status, they think they don't have to play by the rules all of a sudden. And then, you know, just like David is fooling around with Bathsheba thinking he's above everything, you know, we've had, you know, preachers' kids out there that are just some of the biggest, most perverted scumbags in the world. We've seen that type of things. Where, what made them think they could do that? I'll tell you who, the people in the church. And, and, and yes, their dads were wrong for accepting that, but the people in the church were wrong too. And I saw that growing up. I've seen more examples of that than I can count. And I have done everything I can throughout these years to not put that kind of pressure on our kids and to get the people in our church thinking that way. And, and, so, and I, I don't see a lot of this. This is something I've preached on before, but I think it's something I, I, I want to remind people of every so often so we don't forget it. So we don't forget it because that can happen, and I believe it's a devastating thing for a pastor's family. It's bad for a church. The way things should be in a church, one of these days, I ought to be able to drop dead, and there should be somebody in here ready to go to immediately be doing what I'm doing. Why? Because it's not about any, you know, anything super about me. It's the office. And once you've put that person in the office, they should get the exact same respect that you gave me. Because it wasn't about Tommy McMurtry. It was about the office. So I hope, I hope that was clear. So let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your goodness to us and your word, Lord. I pray you'll help us to follow these things. Help people. I, I pray all of us here, Lord, will, uh, Keep our focus on you that we won't, I pray this church will never get like that where they're uh, lifting up a man too much and that they'll uh, respect the office. And I pray, Lord, you'll always help me to uh, keep the right kind of attitude in these things and remember that I'm, I'm nothing more than a brother uh, who's been put by my brethren in a position of authority. And I pray that I'll take it serious and, and do it right. And I pray you'll help uh, people to follow me just as I follow you. In your name we pray. Amen.